You're listening to the Calvary Presbyterian Church Podcast. In October, we stepped away from the narrative lectionary to focus on stewardship, Um, but we are back this day with this reading in the narrative lectionary, which is a series of biblical readings that get us through the broad story and scope of Scripture throughout the course of the program year. Um, So today we get back into the story of Elijah, and Israel has been following false gods. After King David dies, his son Solomon rules, and Solomon was a pretty good king as far as kings go. He was full of wisdom and committed to building God's temple that his father David had been unable to build. But after Solomon's rule, the United Kingdom of Israel collapses, in part because of the bills that were left over from building the temple. It's always economics, isn't it? The northern tribes rebelled against the Davidic line and become known as Israel in this divided kingdom, and the tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south become the nation of Judah. So when you hear stories about Israel and Judah, that's a divided kingdom language. Ahab is king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and we're told earlier in his story that Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord the God of Israel then had all the kings of Israel who were before him. And that is saying something, my friends, because the kings of Israel were not a well-behaved bunch. And his wife Jezebel is a foreigner. I mean, what were her parents thinking naming her Jezebel? (laughs) According to my friend and womanist scholar, Dr. Will Gaffney, Jezebel's name has become a byword for women of a certain type assertive, aggressive, sexualized, promiscuous. That's not necessarily all from the story of Jezebel. We've just kind of made her name something else. Their marriage was a political alliance to bring peace along the Phoenician border, which means it was not likely to have been a love match. And so perhaps we can understand why Jezebel brought with her the gods from her own country. She had no loyalty to Israel and its god. But notice how she takes the blame in the story of Elijah. She's a convenient scapegoat when Ahab was a pretty bad king all by himself. She may worship false gods, but she is loyal to her false gods all the way through her story, all the way to her death, which is not something you can say about many of the followers of Israel's God. Yet she's the one we call the Jezebel, anyways. If you've been missing nice, light family TV program like Breaking Bad or Games of Thrones or Succession, something like that, I encourage you to keep reading in 1 Kings, the story of Ahab and Jezebel. She and I may worship different gods, but it is pretty interesting to consider the power that Jezebel wielded in this foreign country. And while the biblical authors are not in any way, shape, or form fans of hers, they can't help but present the story of a woman who is the power of the throne, not the power behind the throne. She was the power. She was literate. She was politically savvy. She was faithful to her gods, and she died with her own kind of dignity intact. The false gods she brought with her into this arranged marriage must have been appealing to the masses too because Baal had many prophets, and the people flocked to these false gods. Israel paid for the employment of 850 prophets of Baal, 
and Asherah out of, the temp out of the treasury at Jezebel's instruction. It is a big enterprise to support her gods. And if they weren't popular, it seems unlikely that that kind of money would have been supported and allowed. So God's prophet Elijah shows up and is a thorn in the side of Ahab and Jezebel all the way through. He stands in the way of their power. He is trying to call people back to the Lord. They're trying to keep their political alliance together by promoting the worship of all the gods, right? They do better when all the people are worshiping all these false gods. And so they want to kill Elijah. They have already killed over 100 prophets of God. Again, never underestimate the way power and wealth conspire against the prophets who speak against them. As I mentioned earlier, the music that um, you just heard from the choir and that you'll hear later um, is from Mendelssohn's Elijah, which we'll be performing here in a few weeks. So get your tickets now. I'm very excited. I'm singing with the choir for this. Um, and so Elijah has been living rent-free in my head for the past few months. And I think, though, that that music allows you to hear and understand a story differently than when you're just reading it on your own or hearing it read in worship. Singing Elijah has reminded me of where this story we heard today fits in the bigger story of the people of Israel. God has had Elijah proclaim a drought in response to Israel's unfaithfulness and Ahab's failure as a king. Elijah announces this drought in response to this evil king, but a drought affects both the innocent and the evil in equal measure. And droughts also disproportionately affect the poor who don't have the resources to protect themselves the way the rich do. I would like to suggest that Elijah and God find a better way to prove their point about evil King Ahab. But even Elijah figures it out because after the drought takes hold, he doesn't have anything to eat either. The people are afraid they will die. You'll hear that in Mendelssohn's Elijah. I have sympathy for these people who are clamoring for these false gods who might possibly save them. Their situation is dire. We've seen that too in our own lives and on the news, haven't we? Right now, we're seeing the innocent people in Israel and Palestine suffering because of Ahab-like kings and governments. Hamas does not represent the best interests of the Palestinians in Gaza. But after years of fighting in exile, perhaps we can have sympathy, if not agreement, for why they turn to strongmen-style leaders in their desperation. And violence should not be a country's first response to violence. But after years of extremists vowing to remove Israel from the map, perhaps we can have sympathy for why the government of Israel wants to respond to, with bombs when its citizens are kidnapped and murdered. Following these false gods of power and might and violence affects both the innocent and the guilty. And like Elijah's drought, this violence disproportionately affects the poor who don't have the resources of the rich to seek shelter and safety. If we refuse to see the humanity in our neighbors and in our enemies, we will continue to face crises that affect the innocent and the evil alike. My understanding of God's actions is different perhaps than the authors of First and Second Kings but my understanding of human nature is very similar. I do not believe that the bad things that ha happen today are caused by God because of human unfaithfulness. 
I do think, however, that bad things that happen today are consequences of human unfaithfulness. Do you hear the difference? I also think God is likely as frustrated today as God was thousands of years ago when people flocked to false gods rather than trusting in the divine promise of God's love and mercy. Toward the end of Mendelssohn's Elijah, God says, I am the God who comforts. Be not afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Who are you, you who are afraid of a human who will die? And for the Lord, your maker, who has stretched forth the heavens and laid the earth foundations? Who are you? We keep following after false gods. And maybe they're big like Baal or Asherah. False gods like power and wealth and might. But maybe they're subtler gods, less showy, but with as many adherents. False gods like control or perfection or the thief comparison. When we are in crisis as Israel was in the wake of their unfaithful ruler, are we able to keep grounded in a faith that can carry us through our challenges? Or do we go limping about, as Elijah put it, following after anything we think might bring us relief? For me, while my faith has been strengthened and forged in times of challenge, it was nurtured in the routine, regular part of life. And I confess, I sort of wish Elijah had sent the people to Sunday school or Bible study or something more mundane, rather than give them that big, powerful show with that high production value, right? Elijah publicly challenges the prophets of a false god to a showdown. It's his god against their gods, and he stacks the deck in their favor. He pours water all over his altar. He mocks the false gods when they don't answer. Cry louder, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he took a nap. And then he crushes them. The fire falls down from heaven and sets his soggy altar on fire. This is spectacle and might and drama and victory. And this is not something I will be reproducing for you here today. <laughs> we will not be pouring water on the communion table um, and asking God to set it on fire, so don't be getting all excited about how communion might be different later in the service. It will not be different. But how do you think you would have felt if you were Elijah when you saw the fire, that God, fire from God setting his offering on fire? How would you feel if you were Elijah? For starters, I'd be relieved, right? Oh good, that worked. Whew, I remember that whole commandment about not putting the Lord your God to the test, so thanks God for answering me, right? There's relief. But after the relief, I'm also pretty sure I would become insufferable and smug. Oh hello, I'm the prophet who just demolished all those false prophets in a dance-off. Perhaps you've heard of me, right? I would be terrible. But if you read on this week and see what happens to Elijah, because it's neither of those responses. Ahab goes home to tell Jezebel what happened to her prophets, and I bet that conversation was fun, don't you think? <laughs> and Jezebel sends Elijah a text message. So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of my prophets by this time tomorrow. She wasn't happy. 
So you would hope that Elijah, the person who just orchestrated this massive smackdown of these false gods, would read her text and go, pshaw, the same false gods who didn't show up yesterday, I'm not worried. That is decidedly not how Elijah responds. He runs into the wilderness to hide, and he cries out for God, saying he'd like to die now because he's all alone and he has no help, and woe is me. After God surely had a moment of, are you kidding me right now? Were you not just there for the fire that came down from heaven? Which we trust God had that moment. God then sends an angel to Elijah to give him a snack and a nap, which is good for all of us when we feel alone. In the light of Elijah's very human, very mortal response to fear, no matter what might and power he's just seen from God, maybe the best we can do is be gentle with ourselves and with each other. Because we live in a world full of things that scare us and things that isolate us one from each another, that send us limping about in search of anything to relieve our worries, and we will not get it right all the time. No matter the show we've seen, no matter the spectacle we've just brought about, we won't get it right all the time, even if we're Elijah. But God's faithfulness is sure, even when human faithfulness to God is not. God's mercy and God's love is constant, even when our love is fickle. So we are called to remind each other of that when the famines and droughts in our lives become too much. We're called to journey together with each other when we feel alone, reminding each other and ourselves that God never intends for any of us to get through the struggles of life by ourselves. And maybe then we give each other a snack and remind us to go take a nap. A part of me does wish I could give you a big sign like Elijah gave the people on Mount Carmel. But I know that big signs don't lead to big faith. And so I pray we will know of God's love and faithfulness from the gestures of love we give each other, from the support we offer in times of famine and drought, so that we can journey together toward a faithful response to God's love, which is new every morning. Listen to the words of the hymn. Great is your faithfulness, O God our Father. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen. Join us for worship every Sunday at Calvary Presbyterian Church on Fillmore Street in San Francisco, or watch our live stream at calpres.org worship.